If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1, we are continuing on in 1 Corinthians as we will. I understand just a few Sundays ago, Pastor France probably used this same text. And uh, we're going to look at it today, and I've entitled it, um, Christ has been divided, period, and question mark. <laughs> we're going to see a church again that is dealing with different things. And Paul writes to them. Because they've divided Christ up a bit. And Paul will ask the questions like he normally does and throws a rhetorical question at him in that way. Let me read the passage for you first of all here this morning. And then let's dive on in and see what God has for us. Beginning there at verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul writes, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may know, say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. As was just said, we ask that you would set us apart, sanctify us in this truth. And Lord, you do a work in, in my heart today and in each heart here, Lord. We, we do claim that promise that your word will not return empty. Help us to simply take it in and Holy Spirit use it in our lives. Draw us unto Yourself if we need to be drawn again. If we need to be awakened, Lord, awaken us. If we need to be convicted, convict us. If we need to be encouraged today, Lord, bring that encouragement as well. Thank You for being the one true God. The one we can look to. Help us again this morning, Lord, I pray. Amen. Do you know what an oxymoron is? It's a, if we put it in things, it's a combination of contradictory or incongruous words, phrases that are that contradict each other. Here are some of my favorites with regards to that. Boneless ribs, although they're very good in that way. Fresh frozen. Have you ever seen that one? And jumbo shrimp. Or if somebody has a small fortune, um, pretty ugly works along those lines too. Um, a working vacation. I've unfortunately tried that oxymoron a number of times. And uh, just two more. A devout atheist. Think about that one for a second. And then artificial grass. <laughs> Doesn't quite make sense. But 
The reason I'm talking about an oxymoron this morning because there's another thing that's an oxymoron. It's a divided church. A church that's divided ceases to really be a church. It's a contradiction in what God wants. And so Paul starts out his appeal here, and that's the first thing that he does, is he makes an appeal here in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, and notice what he appeals in. He appeals in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's that same name, which is the only name that can bring salvation. It's the same name that has healed the people. It's the same name in which they've started the church in. It's the only name by which we can truly stand. (laughs) And so Paul entreats them. He encourages them. He asks them. He says, don't have any divisions. (laughs) No tears in the garment is a way that word can be used. No political factions that are seeking power with things. Now, If I throw out a simple question to you, why do divisions happen in the first place? Mostly it's because of the me factor, isn't it? (laughs) Personalities and pride. I want to do it my way. We do Frank Sinatra, don't we, is what we do (laughs) along those lines. And disagreements will occur. But it's when those disagreements turn into quarreling and strife and contentions and it flames and ignites into rivalries, if you want to say, that the problems start to show themselves out. There was a man one time who was marooned on a desert island for 20 years, the story goes. And one day a ship finally comes by and he's waving and jumping up and down by the beach and they see him. And when they came ashore, he... he, He looked around and they looked around. They saw all kinds of buildings and structures and they asked him what all the buildings were for. So he took them on a tour of his island. And they walked down the street that he had made and he showed them his house, his grocery store, his community center where he went for entertainment. And they walked down the street. He was the proudest, though, of the church that he had built for worship on Sunday morning. And as they looked around, they saw another building that he had not mentioned, and they asked him what that building was. He said that building was the church he used to attend before he got mad and changed churches. We laugh at that, but it's really not unusual, is it? Christians and the church aren't immune to those type of things. John MacArthur wrote, he said, quarreling is a reality in the church because selfishness and other sins are realities in the church too. You remember last week, this was a real, it's a real letter to real people. But it's when these things happen that we begin to dishonor the Father. The Son of God gets disgraced. And we discredit God through what we do. And that's what was happening in Corinth. There were things that were going on. And as we go through the rest of this letter, as we preach through and as we look at things, as you read through it, you'll notice that Paul deals with those things. 
those issues that are going on. And issues are things that we need to deal with. And by the way, true Christian unity is not found in ecumenism when you hear that today. Churches just getting together to do things for the sake of getting together. Ecumenism isn't true Christian unity. True Christian unity is only found in Jesus Christ. It's only found in following God's word. To be united in mind and thought, he says. To have that purpose. The church is not a social club. It's not a community action organization. And it's not just a building that we meet in on a Sunday morning. The church is the body of Christ. Paul had been reminded as he writes this letter in verse 11 that Chloe's household had informed him that there were some things going on. And so he wants to remind them who they are again. There's a story about the king of Sparta in ancient Greece who boasted to a visiting monarch. He said, about, he boasted about the mighty walls of Sparta, is what he said. But the guests looked around and didn't see any walls. And finally, the king said to the host, he said, or the host, he, the guy said to the, to the king, he said, I'd like to see those walls. Show me the walls. I don't see them. And the Spartan ruler pointed with great satisfaction to some disciplined and well-trained troops. Part of his mighty army exclaimed, there they are. Those are the walls of Sparta. It's the people. In Rome, in Rome, or sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and by the way, in Romans 12, you hit some of this too, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, just as the body through one, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. God has him right. You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We are living stones, you and me, as a part of this congregation, as a part of the church universal. The foundation, of course, is Jesus Christ. The head is Jesus Christ. We are the body parts in Him. We are the stones that things are being built upon. You ever wonder why God chose us to do those things? It's a crazy thing. But God, there's an old song that says, God loves people more than anything. And that's what it's about. Well, let's go to the second part here in verses 12 and 13. What's the cause? And the cause here is some of the dividers that are going on. And we start there in verse 12. 
he says, what I mean, what I mean is that one of you says, I follow Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and still others say, I follow Christ. <laughs> what was happening is they were forming groups or cliques. I don't, we don't know if it was exactly doctrinal issues or what they were saying, but that's what they were saying. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ. <laughs> I, I heard of it put this way one time. There's the pastor party. That, that was the people that said, I'm with Paul. Then that group loved Paul because he founded the church. He's the spiritual father, so to speak. The second is the preacher party. I'm with Apollos. Apollos was a great speaker. He's skilled in apologetics, proving Jesus is the Messiah from the Old Testament. He's that gifted speaker. That famous preacher syndrome that can be out there. Then there's the traditional party. I'm with Cephas. We don't know if Peter ever visited Corinth. He may have. But he was the original apostle of the church. So some were saying, I follow Peter. And then there's the spiritual party. Whether that's correctly they're saying this, or whether they're saying it just because they want to be above everybody else, we follow Christ. And maybe they're the ones that come in carrying the biggest Bibles and things that way. By the way, it's okay to carry Bibles in the church nowadays. Um, sometimes we forget to do that. Um, I know some of you have it on your phones, though, too, so that's fine. <laughs> but uh, you'll usually see me with mine. <laughs> I have trouble reading the phones for doing things that way. But there becomes parties. And it's not difficult to divide into factions. It's especially easy to do in our day isn't it? Because we can watch all sorts of things on TV, on the internet. We can look up anything. There's probably people that are watching us today (laughs) that are watching just for certain reasons. Hopefully they're watching for the right reasons (laughs) to be able to worship, but not just because they're following somebody. I'm guessing there might be people from up in northern Minnesota that are watching today. And I always try to remind them that it wasn't Pastor Todd's church in Roseau. It's God's church. It's a key thing to remember as we go forward. There was a lady one time who came to her pastor and said, she'd been to a conference and she said, "We've we've got to get so that we can... You can see this pastor. He's so wonderful. She said, you know what? Let's do this. She said, Pastor, why don't we have one Sunday where you don't have to preach and we just put him on the screen? By the way, that's one way to really build up your pastor. (laughs) What was happening there is they were following a man and a teaching instead of following God and his word. And to follow a person rather than to follow Jesus truly is to be a divider. Even if we don't mean Now, don't get me wrong. I understand there are people that you appreciate hearing more than others. That's just a natural thing, isn't it? But the key to anything is that the Word of God is being preached and shared in its fullness. 
And that's something that we as pastors, it's hard sometimes because it can become very easy to start looking at yourself and start thinking about how people are thinking about you. And you forget about God's Word. Now, on the same token, we're called to do the best we can and to use our skills and abilities. The goal is that God's Word would do its work. I read the following illustration one time. There was a rural church that everyone liked to go listen to, Pastor Smith. Everyone loved to listen to him. It didn't take long for Pastor Smith to gain a great reputation. People would travel miles to listen to him preach. And one Sunday, Pastor Smith was on holiday and there was a guest preacher. During the first hymn, when people saw that Pastor Smith was away and they realized that there was a guest preacher, guess what? Many of them got up and left during the first hymn. A large number of them started to make their way to door. After the first hymn, though, the guest preacher got up and he began his service by saying, all of you who have come to worship Pastor Smith, you can leave. <laughs> all of you who have come to worship Jesus Christ, you can stay. I think that was wise, don't you? Look at verse 13 of the text, and this is where the title of the message comes from. Christ, as we know here, has been divided, but Paul asks and uses the question to do that. <laughs> is Christ divided? He asks him that. One thing I love about Paul is the way he always puts the question to the people and puts the question to us. Is Christ divided? <laughs> See, we are to be unifiers rather than dividers. And again, the only way we can be unified is in Jesus Christ. If He truly is Lord in our lives. Um, if we take the rhetorical questions that are there, there's, there's three rhetorical questions that are asked. Is Christ divided? The answer, of course, is no. He should not be divided. The church should not be divided. The second question, did Paul, was Paul crucified for us? Of course not. It's the answer that's there. He's just laying it out so they simply remember. And, and the last one, were we baptized in the name of Paul or anyone else? We were blessed to have a baptism last Sunday at the second service. Was it the pastor who made things important and things that way? Was it the special water we had? No. It was the Word of God connected with that water. It's what God did. And that's where things come along. And they were struggling with some of those things. You ever have those struggles at home too? I was thinking about the story of the man and wife who were having an argument about who should brew the coffee each morning. You ever had that one? Yeah? The wife said, you should do it. You should get up first. Then we don't have to wait as long to get our coffee. <laughs> but the husband said, you're in charge of the cooking here and you should do it because that's your job. I can't just wait for my coffee. And the wife replied, no, you should do it. And besides, it's in the Bible that a man should do it. 
Some of you already know this is coming, right? The husband was surprised. He said, I can't believe that. Show me where in the Bible. And she fetched her Bible and she opened the Bible to Hebrews. Don't you wish it was that easy to answer all the questions all the time? See, the third part to this is the correction. It's the directive that he gives in verse 17. He's asking that question, whose church is it? Paul gets personal. He acknowledges who he is. He acknowledges that he has baptized certain people. And isn't it kind of, it's kind of fun as he does that. As you can see really, he, he notes first of all the first two people he baptized and then there's a little parenthesis there. Oh yeah, I did baptize this other family too. But he acknowledges that and then he points them to Jesus. <laughs> Paul says, God didn't send me to produce a cult following see the baptism that I was doing as my baptism. Paul says, God called me to preach the gospel. And you see it there in verse 17. He didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And by the way, is he saying that you're not supposed to baptize? No. (laughs) That's not the point that's here. It's clear in Scripture as we compare all Scripture that we are called to Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What he's getting at is that the key is to preach the gospel. And that's what he gets straightforward and he just lays it out before them there. We begin to think of ourselves more highly than other people. And Paul gets them back looking at the right stuff. I'm a Gophers fan, hockey-wise. So I I like Gophers football and stuff too. I didn't pay attention to anything yesterday. I don't know what happened. But P.J. Fleck, what's his big thing is to get everybody rowing the same direction, right? We lose sight of that sometimes in the church. We get caught off on all these other things and we forget that we're all rowing in that same direction. Or we should be. If we're following Christ and we're looking to His Word, we deal with the things as they come, but we keep rowing in that same direction. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. He said, Do what is given to you and do it well. And you will you would have done enough. Live together in the forgiveness of your sins. Forgive each other every day from the bottom of of your hearts. <laughs> and the truth of Scripture is we can forgive, can't we? Because Christ has forgiven us. Ephesians 4, 3-6, through 6, Paul writes, he says, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, one body, one Spirit, as you were also called to the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And as I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but think about John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace. And one of the things he said near the end of his life, he said, although my memory is failing, (laughs) 
and fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. (laughs) To talk just practically for a second here, one person put it this way as we look at the things that this life comes at us. First of all, we should identify those parts of our lives that can cause dissension in the church. And then pray that God would fill us with Himself. That there's no room for His name to come into disrepute. Secondly, we should confess that we have had wrong attitudes towards others in God's church, locally or universally. And thirdly, to be Christ-centered and to seek to glorify Christ alone. For He's above man's thoughts and our thoughts. Look at verse 17 again. Paul just puts it there and he lays it out. Preach the Gospel. Preach the good news. Does that mean preaching the law too? Yes, because if you don't preach the law, there's no gospel. The gospel is just some fancy thing that's sweet that we can take in and it doesn't do a whole lot. When we know we're sinners is when the gospel does its work. And Paul says it there clearly. And I'm reminded of Paul's words in Romans 1.16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but why not? Verse 18 in the text. We didn't read it yet today, but verse 18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. When I was in seminary, I had one of the teachers who, when he taught preaching class, he gave us signs to hold up when our other student, our other classmates were preaching some of them were kind of interesting signs to say you know be a little louder or something you know those type of things there were different things but there was one sign that was the sign that we needed to use that if it wasn't happening in the sermon we needed to lift it up and that was simply take me to the cross that's where i need to go to And that's the message that Paul leads us and was noting to them. As he said to preach the gospel, it's to come to the cross again as sinners in need of His grace. (laughs) And he calls us then to go to Him with whatever's coming on in the church, (laughs) in His congregation. Has Christ been divided? (laughs) We do it at times. But instead of dividing Him, let's look to Him (laughs) and what He's done. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, (laughs) the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
who for the joy set before us endured the cross and despised its shame. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Again, we, we come to you as we are and we look forward to what your gospel, what your truth does in our lives. Help us to live in that truth. As only you can do. Help us to know that it stands true. Your justification, what you've done is proclaimed. And when we trust in you, that justification is true. Lord, we need your help as you sanctify us. You set us apart. Help us to go forward in the unity of Jesus Christ, in you, Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, work. I pray these things in your name again, O oh Lord. Amen.